friends. Um, welcome to RUF. And uh, if you've been with us this semester, we are going through the Ten Commandments, and we, we are a little pressed for time, so we are combining uh, Commandments 8 and 9 um, tonight. Um, but let me read, if you want to follow along, we're actually going to do it by looking at a, um, a passage in the Gospel of Mark, but I'll read the commandments first, and then our passage for Mark chapter 12. All right, the Eighth and Ninth Commandment, you shall not steal... And you shall not bear uh, false witness against your neighbor. And then Mark chapter 12. And in his teaching, Jesus, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him, and he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who were contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live in. Let me pray for us, and I want to kind of string together these commandments for us tonight by looking at this passage for a little bit. Let's pray first. Lord Jesus, we thank you um, for your faithfulness to us. We thank you that you have not left us to ourselves. Um, Lord, you came into this world to save sinners like us. And Lord, even now, um, you are sitting at the right hand of the Father, and you are interceding for us, and you have so generously given us and sent your Spirit to bring us from death to life, to do your work in us, to convict us of our sin, and to point us, Lord Jesus, to you, our life, uh, the lover of our soul, the friend of sinners. And Lord, I pray that we might experience your generosity tonight, and I pray that we might experience your truth, the truth of what, who you are and the truth of what you've done for us. That is what the Christian life is about, is to be known and loved, Lord Jesus, by you and to be changed by you. So, Lord, would you do your good work in us? We ask these things, Lord Christ, in your name. Amen. I don't know if you've kind of followed just the way the church seems to be getting a lot of negative press. If you, we talked last semester about the rise and fall of Mars Hill and all that, that, all that happened with Mark Driscoll. Maybe you've watched the latest Hillsong documentary that's kind of exposing some abuse and just gross sin uh, in Hillsong. But I'll always, uh, years ago, this pastor said this to the question of what's wrong with the church or what kind of kills the church. And here's what he said. He said, sexual sin gets to the press, but actually ego sin is what kills the church. Sexual sin gets to the press, but ego sin, pride, greed, get, or actually what killed the church. What I want to do tonight is kind of look at this passage and do two things. One is to look at what Jesus is saying about the scribes and Pharisees. So the first, we're going to kind of look at the pitfalls of being self-righteous. 
the pitfalls of being like the scribes and Pharisees. And then second and lastly, we're going to look at a picture of someone getting the gospel, of someone getting grace. Uh, But let me start by saying we're in the eighth and ninth commandment. What we need, what I want to put before you and then kind of work out in this passage is this. What the eighth and ninth commandments say to us about God is simply this. That he is, on the one hand, incredibly generous. Uh, He is generous to us in his love. He is generous to us in his grace. He is generous to us in his care of us. And on the second hand, to the ninth commandment, he is also incredibly truthful. God never lies. God never breaks a single one of his promises. He is worthy of our trust. We can trust him. Um, And here's the deal. This is what the scribes and Pharisees missed. If we were to sit down with the scribe or Pharisee and ask him, what is your view of God? They would not say to us, we believe he is stunningly generous. And we believe he is so worthy of our trust. That we can trust him and him alone in who he is and what he does. Because if you've known anything about the scribes and Pharisees, they trusted themselves. Um, but let's look at first that, that idea. What are the pitfalls of being, we could call it religious. What are the pitfalls of being like the scribes and Pharisees? And I want to do it two ways. I want to talk first about four things that Pharisees and scribes love. And then drawing from my guy, Les Newsom, I want to talk secondly about three things that the Pharisees and scribes rejected. So first, under the pitfalls of being a, a scribe or a Pharisee or like them, which is so often the case. And by the way, this is one of those sermons where um, it's going to be easy to kind of think, oh, gosh, so-and-so really needs to hear this. So I'm, I'm kind of asking, pleading with you, this is for us, this is for me, this is for you, and the ways that we struggle with pride, and the ways that we struggle with religious performance. Um, so with that being said, four things that Pharisees love, or scribes love, here's number one, their own appearance. That's why Jesus says they like to walk around in long robes. Um, here's the question for us. Do we care more about our appearance than we do about the state of our heart? I say this to I say this to someone I think I've said this a lot over the years. Like I like clothes. Like I have more shoes than my wife my wife, which is here we are. Uh, so we're not saying, hey, don't at all care about fashion, but we are saying there is a way that pride works in us where we overcare about our appearance to the neglect of our own soul. And that's what Jesus part of what he's saying about the Pharisees. I, I like the way that Brendan Manning used to say it. He says it like this, the temptation of our age is to look good without actually being good. Uh, We do this all the time. Like if you are in the Instagram game, you know this. Like we craft the right picture to make our lives look a certain way. Often when our hearts are in a struggling place or often when our hearts or souls are not right, um, so first, they care about their own appearance. They love their own appearance. Second, they love their own reputation. That's why Jesus does the thing where he talks about they like greetings, the best seats, the places of honor. In other words, they love to be recognized. They love to be acknowledged. They love the important feeling that comes from being seen as successful. They love their own reputation. This is why I think the tattoo... I've said to you before, the Les Mis tattoo, 24601, don't have the body for it, and that's okay. Um, 
the other one that I probably should get is Luke six twenty six, where Jesus says to us, he says, Woe to you when all men speak well of you. <laughs> Woe to you when all men speak well of you. Uh, it's the dark side of living for approval. What approval does in my heart is it says, I'm going to pretend to be something that you like, but I'm going to do the detriment of my relationship with Jesus often. And this is what Jesus is warning us of. That this is what the Pharisees love, their own appearance, their own reputation. Thirdly, they love their own money slash stuff. They love their own money and stuff. That's why Jesus says that they devoured widows' houses. Uh, part of what this means is they knew how to take advantage of people for their own financial and material gain. And that can be true for us. You know, there are two things. This is true. I do, when I marry couples and we do premarital counseling, I always am reminded that the two things that we still struggle, I think, as Christians to talk about the least that we should be talking about the most are sex and money. And we just don't love to talk about either. Because often we're probably scared of what people might see in us. We can certainly, as genuine Christians, still be gripped by a love of money or by a love of our stuff. And it's hard for us, therefore, to be generous. And I think that's one of the questions for us to wrestle with tonight is, are you a person who is known for being generous? Not from a place of abundance, but from a place of your own sacrifice. Are you generous with your own money? Are you generous with your own time? Are you generous with your gifts? The Pharisees were not. They were stingy. They were greedy. And so can we be. And then fourth, they were in love with their own, I'm just going to call it their own religiosity. They were in love with their own religious performance. That's why Jesus says they prayed long prayers. They loved for people to hear them praying. And we do the same thing in other ways. Maybe it's not prayer. Maybe it's theology. Um, Maybe it is in sort of our devotional life. But we can so often take pride in our performance, that we're doing the right things, that we're believing the right things. And if we're being honest, it's not at all about Jesus. I've told this story before, so bear with me if you've heard it, but... When I was a junior in high school, I, I applied to be the president of this ministry called First Priority. Uh, it was kind of like FCA, but before school, because we were trying to be like serious Christians. We were going to meet before school and get up early and show these losers at our high school that we love Jesus. And I can remember like sitting down with this, uh, it was a committee of adults. And I was a youth group kid. I became a Christian my freshman year of high school. I was all about it. And I loved, what I didn't yet realize was I loved the good feeling of being like special to my youth pastor. Like that was a drug. Like I had his approval. So I was doing all the things and I was, you know, having like regular quiet times, like wouldn't miss one. And they asked the question, why should you be the, the president of first priority? And I just said without like, Flinching, I just said because I, <laughs> because I haven't missed a quiet time in over a year. And it was like a drop the mic. And I like to imagine Jesus in that moment being like, oh, oh, buddy, if you think that's what this is about, you've missed it, my friend. Because it wasn't about Jesus. 
It was about me. It was entirely about me and being seen in a certain light, being seen. There was so much, that statement was dripping with pride and I didn't see it yet. Um, There's a story that I love. One of my favorite writers is John Updike and he's got this short story called The Christian Roommates. And it's a pretty simple story, it's a pretty short story where the idea is two freshmen, uh, Orson and this guy named Henry, his his nickname is Hub, are freshmen at Harvard and they're roommates. And the whole story is Orson is very set on. He's like perfect GPA, perfect athlete, got, you know, comes to Harvard with a plan. He's pre-med. He knows what he wants for his life. And he's a Christian. And then here comes Hub. He's more, let's just think, kind of left-wing, more open, more free-spirited. And so you watch the two Christians struggle with each other. One more in the vein of being more like a Pharisee and scribe, and the other in a different vein, being open to everything and too liberal for Orson's taste. And the way the story ends has always haunted me because Orson follows the plan and he gets what he wants. He becomes a doctor. And here's how Updike ends it, talking about Orson. It's pretty chilling, I think. He says this. It's in your handout if you want to read it. He says his life has gone much the way he planned it. And he is much the kind of man he intended to be when he was 18. He delivers babies, assists the dying, attends the necessary meetings, plays golf, and does good. He is honorable and irritable. If not as much loved as his father, who was also a doctor, he is perhaps even more respected. In one particular only, a kind of scar he carries without pain and without any clear memory of the amputation, does the man differ from the man he assumed he would become? He never prays. He never prays. And this is what Jesus is saying. This is the trajectory for the scribes and Pharisees. When you do all the things that look like you love God, but actually miss the love of God. When you do all the things that are right and good, but miss how much God loves you. And you miss how much of a mess you are. I like the way that Tim Keller would sometimes say it. Like, Part of how you know you're a Christian is you are genuinely shocked that you are a Christian. That God could love someone like you. Part of how you know maybe you're not a Christian is you're kind of proud of being a Christian. And that's a question for us. Are you shocked that the grace of God found you? So that's what four things they love. Let's keep going. Three things, though, that they rejected, and this is where we're kind of getting to our second point. The three things they rejected that are really important for us is here's number one. They rejected the authority of God. Uh, if you look back to the end of 11 and the beginning of 12, the Pharisees are questioning Jesus' authority, and they say, who are you to tell us what to do, basically? Pharisees hate being told what to do, which is why they often seek positions of authority, ironically. And the question for us is, how do we respond to God's authority? They rejected it. But two, they rejected the story of God. And this is why Jesus, I think, so often spoke in parables. And this is why I think Jesus, or he was so hated by the Pharisees and scribes, um, because he was trying to draw them out of themselves. He was trying to draw them out of their own stories into his story. He was trying to draw them out of life is about you into life is about me. I I like the way that Donald Miller used to say it. He would say the most difficult lie I've ever contended with is that life is a story about me. And Jesus is trying to invite them 
into the story of God and they reject it. And then the third thing that they obviously reject is they reject Jesus as the cornerstone. They reject Jesus as the rock of ages upon which anything that will last is built. And anything not built upon the rock of Jesus, anything built upon the sinking sands of anything else is going to fade. And this is why they ultimately rejected Jesus. I like the way that um, Kierkegaard would say that sin is building your identity on anything but God, anything other than God. And this is part of what the Pharisees are doing is they're building their identity on what it looks like to love God and be religious, but they're not actually building it on Jesus and his love for them and their need for him himself. And so they reject him in this way. So we have Jesus warning us about the scribes and Pharisees. And here's the way it connects to the commandments. So on the one hand, because the Pharisees don't love Jesus, they are not generous. They are incredibly all about themselves, stingy, greedy. They are not generous and they break the eighth commandment. And then also they are not truthful. This is part, I think, why they hate Jesus so much, is Jesus is demanding a kind of honesty that is terrifying. It's looking in the mirror and seeing yourself soberly in the ways that you fall short, in the ways that you struggle. And the Pharisees couldn't stand that. They would rather keep their illusion than live in the truthful reality of what Jesus is exposing in them. So first, the pitfalls of being a scribe or Pharisee, but then second, this is what Jesus uh, has for us in this widow, a picture of getting the gospel. It's a picture of getting grace because the widow embraces everything that these scribes and Pharisees reject. Uh, She embraces And is submissive to God's authority. Even though she is poor, she's submissive and joyfully obedient to what God's word says about money. That it belongs to him. That it is more joyful to give than to receive. And you can tell that her heart is submissive because she gladly parts with what she needs. She's She's wrapped up in the story of God. You can't do that if you're wrapped up in yourself. You just can't. When you and I are wrapped up in ourselves... It is impossible to be joyfully, sacrificially generous with money and time and gifts and relationship. It only happens when we're wrapped up in the story of God. And that's a tension for us. When we're living in the story of ourselves, we have to do what everyone around us is doing. And we have to have what they have, whether that be clothes or cars or technology or food or drink. And this woman, here she is, she's in poverty, and she's giving not out of excess, but out of her poverty. And she's giving away something beautiful, because she's living within a different story than everyone else around her. And then thirdly, she does it because Jesus is her cornerstone. Jesus is her life. This is the way to say it. Jesus is all she has. He's all she has. And and she is giving everything to him. She's giving from that place of knowing that Jesus is all that she has. And this is where we get. You can only do this if your heart is gripped by the fact that this is what God has done for you. 
This is the good news of Jesus. Um, God so loved us that he freely gave his own son. Do you know how incredibly generous God is? Do you know how incredibly generous Jesus is with you? I think if I could leave you with two, two questions, that's one, is where in your life are you missing or not believing how incredibly generous Jesus is to you? In his love for you, in his care of you, in his provision for you and me? But then two, where are you struggling to be truthful? Where are you living a lie? With yourself, with your friends, with your family? Where are you, another way to say it is, where are you struggling to trust? On the one hand, God never lies. What he says to us, what he has for us, what he asks of us, we can trust. We can trust him, the one who so freely gave himself. We can trust his love of us. We can trust his care of us. But then also the places where we're just terrified of the truth. We're terrified to say it out loud. We're terrified to share with a friend, a trusted friend who knows Jesus, loves you. What's going on? Like, where are you? That's the question God asked Adam and Eve. (laughs) Where are you? And it's only the love of Jesus that frees you to say, here's where I am. And what you're going to find is Jesus meets you right where you are, not where you've been pretending to be. I'll close with this. Uh, So I read this incredible story today. Maybe you saw it. It was in the Washington Post, and it's about this uh, man named Vaughn Smith, who is a carpenter, or carpet cleaner. He works mostly in the D.C. area, uh, but he speaks 24, he speaks fluently, or relatively fluently, 24 languages. So he's what's called like a poly, polyglut. Some of y'all could correct me. But this, uh, who, the, the woman who wrote the article spend, spent a lot of time with him, like getting to know him. Like, how did you get to this place where you speak 24 languages? I mean, it is a beautiful story because basically what you learn as you read the article is as a kid, he was bullied uh, for being on the spectrum. And he went to a school where he he found himself in the company of outsiders. And what he found pretty quickly is I want to learn their language so that I can connect with them. And so literally he will meet like his life as he meets someone who speaks a different language And he wants them to be seen and known and loved. So he literally will start to learn that language. He's obviously an off-the-chart genius, too. But I love this as a picture of two things. It's a picture, first of us, I think, for what a life of generosity and truthfulness is. That I want to learn, so learn your language that you might be loved by me and feel loved by me. But also, I'm not doing this to be important. Like, what I love about the article, she goes out of her way to say, he did not seek me out. Like, we kind of stumbled upon this guy, and he's just happily living the life of a carpet cleaner. While he, like, as the article ends geniusly, where he's got a streak of three and a half or 300 hours learning uh, Welsh, I think. It's the new one he's trying to learn. But it's a beautiful picture of a life of generosity and truthfulness. And it's also a beautiful picture of how Jesus loves us. Where Jesus says, here's the deal. You need salvation. 
And that's what I've come for. I've come in my love. I see you. I know you. And I love you. And I'm going to the cross. To die in the place of all of the places where we are proud. All of the places where we are not generous. All of the places where we are liars. And Jesus says, yeah, I know that. But I want you to know how loved you are. Let's close with that. Let's pray. Lord, would you meet us in this place? Would you capture us like this widow um, with your sacrificial generosity that we would know how generous you are? And Lord, it's only when we know that can we ever begin to be honest. So would you do that good work in us too? Would you bring the confession and the repentance that you alone can bring? We need it. And Lord, we ask these things and pray these things for Christ in your name. Amen. I'll stand and sing our last song.